0: Welcome to the Startup Competitors Podcast, where we talk with early-stage entrepreneurs and to understand what information they use to inform product roadmap, strategy, and market differentiation. Want regular updates on moves your competitors are making? You can learn more at startupcompetitors.com. Hey there. Today we're chatting with Stephen Plapper, who's one of the co-founders and CEO of Forecaster. Forecaster helps you effortlessly manage and forecast your finances so you can better run your business. We talk a little bit about their very recent launch, traction that they had well before they launched, cashing 87 checks before their product even went live. It's a great little vignette. Uh, We talk about their interesting business model where they do white glove onboarding. We talk about how they're going to scale that. We talk a lot about finances in an early stage company and how to think about finances. We talk about the competitive landscape for Forecaster, how they track it, what they think about competition. We talk a little bit about product roadmap, and uh, we talk a little bit about accelerator incubator experience with Techstars and how they're thinking about sales and a whole bunch of other stuff. It's great great episode. We packed a lot into 30 minutes. Really enjoyed this conversation. Stephen and the team at Forecaster have already agreed to do a round two where we're going to dive deeper into the product and maybe see what that onboarding experience is all about. Uh, really excited for this one. Hope you enjoy it. Find the Forecaster folks online and tell them thank you for coming on the podcast. And thank you so much for listening.
1: This episode is brought to you by Full Stack PEO. Most founders start companies because they figured out a better way to solve a problem or serve a need, not because they love tracking payroll, filling out compliance forms, and explaining employee benefits packages. And yet, all that stuff still has to be done. That's why there's Full Stack PEO. Full Stack PEO specializes in turnkey HR for emerging companies, not just those core services, but advice and expertise that help founders maximize employee potential. Curious? Find out more at fullstackpeo.com.
0: Hey, welcome to the podcast. Today we're chatting with Stephen Plappert, who's the founder and CEO of Forecaster. Stephen, welcome. Hey, Mike. Grateful to be here. Let's start with a quick pitch for Forecaster.
1: Sure, sounds good. So uh, Forecaster is an online software platform that helps founders build great financial models so they can make better decisions, impress investors, and get funded.
0: I like all of those things. So this is going to be fun. Take that one level deeper. If I'm using Forecaster for startup competitors, which is uh, one of my companies, what would that user experience look like for me?
1: And so what that looks like is uh, you would actually purchase an annual subscription to our software. um, That comes with a human white glove onboarding process. So I myself am a a startup finance expert. My co-founder Logan is as well. We've got a team of analysts we actually work with you on a video call to build your financial model out in our software live um, so that you get a good understanding of how your financial model works and we can kind of transfer ownership of that model to you. And once that model is constructed, we then kind of send you off on your merry way and we play a support role. So um, we kind of take a very dedicated process to actually getting our customers stood up in our software to make sure they have a great model and that they understand it and they're set up for success. Uh, and then we then we play a support role from that point forward. And for any of those that maybe aren't familiar with the financial model, a financial model is essentially uh, a forecast, a projection uh, of your business into the future. So it projects your revenue, how much revenue are you going to make? How many customers are you going to acquire? Who are you going to hire? What are you going to spend money on? And at the end of the day, uh, how much cash is in your bank account and what's your runway and and all these types of things. So uh, this is really what we help our, our customers do. I,
0: I love it. Now, I'm going to have some very, like, I love this business idea. By the way, so I'm gonna have like some very personal, deep questions. You don't have to answer any of these, but uh, I'm I'm just gonna roll with it. So, this totally makes sense. If I'm if I'm launching a a business and and need to raise funds and need to be able to show projections and forecasts and stuff like that, Th- this this is an awesome solution. Love the white glove onboarding. I'm, I'm gonna come back to that. One of the challenges I can think of is once I've raised my funding why would I still use Forecaster? W- walk me through like, you know, w- once I've hit that milestone that I, you know, I thought I needed your help with what, what continued value am I going to get in future years? Um, which may not be, I, I think I know the answer to that, but may not be obvious to any, to everybody who's listening.
1: Yeah, no, that's a great question, Mike. And the reality is like, uh, for a long time, like we've been doing financial modeling out of Excel for a long time. Um, financial modeling is kind of considered one of these episodic business functions where, you know, when you need it, you really need it. Usually around a fundraise, there's a flurry of activity, and then there, then it kind of gets neglected um, beyond that. A lot of that is due to just the lack of a good experience in Excel and the problems that Excel has. But with Forecaster, really, the reason why you want to use Forecaster on a regular basis once you've raised your round is, typically, uh, if you're a startup, you're not profitable. So you're kind of a ticking time bomb, if you will. Like, you're going to raise some money, you're going to spend that money, and by the time you've spent that money, You better be where you thought you were going to be so you can raise new money, or you better have turned a profit. Um, And that is actually really, really difficult to do. And one of the most helpful tools in your kind of tool shed, so to speak, in order to achieve those objectives is forecasting so that you can see, hey, yes, indeed, uh, I can hit my objectives over 18 months once I've raised my round. And then tracking yourself each month to kind of benchmark against your forecast and say, hey, am I actually tracking towards my goals? How much money do I have right now? And based on my hiring plan and based on my expenses, what is my runway? This is kind of your your spyglass, so to speak, so you can keep looking out into the future. And as obstacles come up, you can avoid them. Um, it's really important that you do this so that ultimately, once your runway does dwindle and you're in that kind of six to nine months worth of runway, uh, you really need to have a good capture over that, so you can say, Hey, okay, I'm six to nine months out. I better either be profitable in the next few months, or I need to kick off a new fundraise because um, I'm starting to get into the danger zone. So that's really what a lot of our customers do is they use the product to convince investors to invest in the company because they have like a, a grounding and good financial hygiene is what we call it. And then once they've raised that capital, they use our software to manage their runway and make sure that they hit their targets.
0: On that ongoing piece, how much of the data coming into Forecaster is automated? I'm I'm assuming you're doing like an integration of QuickBooks online or, you know, something like that. What does that look like?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And uh, that's the plan. We're building the building the plan as we fly it here. So we just launched our uh, beta in December and it's a forward looking three statement financial modeling product. So it it forecasts all components of a business, it forecasts income statement, balance sheet and cash flow statement. Uh, right now, it's just forward-looking, so there's no historical data that gets ingested into the software, but um, that's the next big task for us is kind of supercharging this core product with a variety of data integrations, and you're likely, or you were wise, excuse me, to key in um, on the most important one, which is QuickBooks Online. Accounting data is the most important data, financial data, to kind of ingest into a financial model, so uh, we're actually working on QuickBooks and Zero right now, which is what most startup companies use for accounting. And we'll have those done by the end of the quarter. So um, that'll be a nice value bump in, in the in the product once we can really get automated financials being powered in, into the software.
0: And, and I, I was remiss. I, I dove right into a bunch of questions that are exciting to me. We should probably hit current status real quick. So you just launched in December. What other uh, kind of vanity metrics can you share? Size of the team, current customers, revenue, funding, a- anything to help paint a picture for somebody who's listening where you're at on this journey?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to. So we, yeah, we just launched the beta. Like, like we said, So that's the the big rock for us last year was, you know, birth the baby, so to speak. And we've been able to do that, which is great. Thank you. Yeah. It's a lot of work. Uh, Financial modeling is a really tricky business function. So it's a tricky product to build and um, getting that out was really huge for us. We accrued kind of a backlog of customers. We've been able to have a lot of success pre-selling the product. Um, So we actually have 87 customers as of this moment in time. Um, And launching the product in December allowed us to onboard uh, the vast majority of them, um, which was uh, super cool. All right. Stop. How how many of those
0: were like queued up before you launched? Like you guys were hustling to build that list of customers who were going to come on board the second you launched versus you launched and and got organically.
1: Yeah. So everybody was queued up. So basically. All right. Good for you. We essentially started selling in July because we were getting a lot of demand for people needing financial models, but we weren't able to service that. And for a while we were like, well, we'll we'll get the product, we'll get the product, we'll get the product. And then we started saying, you know, look, like, why don't we pre-sell an annual subscription to the product? We've got these Google Sheets templates that we use to kind of like, you know, build out the product. And this is where Logan and I, this is our bread and butter for years. Was building. uh, My co-founder Logan Burchett and I were building Excel-based financial models for companies for a long time. So we said, look, well, we'll, we'll, we know this isn't what you want, but we can give you a spreadsheet model now, kind of hold you over and then import it into the software once we launch. And people were buying that like hotcakes. So we just started selling it and selling a lot of companies that way. And then now that we've launched the product, we've been able to then take all those financial models and ingest them into the software, um, not in an automated fashion, very much in a uh, Wizard of Oz-like fashion. But we were able to kind of onboard everybody, which which was super exciting and now we're actually getting really good product feedback on on the beta and, and kind of hunting in the uh, for product market fit. But um, yeah, it's a really big time for us, and it's good to get it done by the end of the year. It was our goal all year, so we're super grateful to have launched the product. Um, we're grateful to have 87 customers. We're at about seven and a half k on the MRR front. Um, we're at nine full time employees, so we've got uh, four co founders of the business. Logan and I on the business side, Jonathan Frazier and Stephen Ams on the tech side. Uh, And then we're grateful to have three full-time developers underneath them and two full-time startup financial analysts underneath Logan and I. Uh, And we've raised $950,000 in capital today. We raised a $750,000 pre-seed round in January of 2020. Um, And then we were actually outgrowing ourselves. So we needed to accelerate the hire of these analysts. And we were able to get another 200,000, mostly from current investors, but some new investors as well. Yeah. So that, that's a, uh, that's where we are uh, right now.
0: Just want to put a finer point on this. Cause you, you like blew through it. Like it was no big deal. Uh, and I think it's like a super big deal. I just want to be clear. You cashed 87 checks before you even launched the product.
1: Yes. Yes. And all annual subscriptions, a uh, thousand awesome. five hundred to a thousand dollars a piece. We We sell our product for a thousand dollars a year, but we offer 50 percent off to our local Louisville, Kentucky companies just to to be, uh, you know, to be a good friend to our home market. And uh, we also offer a 50 percent discount to any tech company. So
0: right on. That's awesome. All right. A couple more high level questions. Does Forecaster support all sorts of different business models? Are you just focused on, you know, certain types of companies like SaaS companies or something like that? Talk to me a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So uh, we do support all business models for the most part. Uh, We have a lot of SaaS companies that use the software, e-commerce companies. We have marketplace business models, transactional business models, so things like Stripe and things like that. Uh, We have services companies, uh, enterprise SaaS companies. Uh, We have a hemp production company. We have a yoga studio. We have a bar. We have a body scanning company um so yes i mean the, the platform is very flexible can handle pretty much any business model and that's a part of our secret sauce is essentially you know we have a system of metrics that calculate revenue and other components of a business um, we have this software where we can actually build custom structures and then save them as templates so that's really credited to our cto jonathan fraser you know he he really helped us build a flexible system like that that can handle lots of different businesses so i think it's really That's a big part of the reason why we're able to handle so many companies and and acquire so many customers is just that we don't have to turn people away just because they're an e-commerce company or just because they're a marketplace company. Um, Unless they're like a really special snowflake, uh, we can pretty much handle them.
0: And talk to me. A little bit about how you scale white glove that white glove onboarding because that sounds amazing like if i'm signing up and i'm getting one on one time with you or or your co-founder like i i might be in just for that for a thousand bucks but what does that look like when you're signing up you know five new customers a day
1: really i mean so carter wasn't the first company to blaze this trail but they they've really proven this out that you know they have you know for anyone who isn't familiar with carter carter is cap table management software they Followed a very similar playbook to us, kind of taking an Excel-based business function, moving it online. You know, they're well over a billion dollars from, from an enterprise value standpoint uh, now, and and they still have a human-level onboarding. So they've kind of blazed the trail for for uh, scaling this type of model. But as you, it might be uh, you know obvious to uh, you know to, to for me to say this, but basically we use our financial model to understand whether or not we can scale this. So we put assumptions into <laughs> our financial model about how long does it take to onboard a company? How much do we pay our analysts that do this onboarding? And that and, and how long they spend, how much time they spend, and how much we pay them You know generates essentially a cost. There's a very real cost to how much it takes to onboard a client. Right now, that's about $250 for us, uh, and we make $1,000 off the annual subscription. So we actually have what's in, in, in my business, in the SaaS world, considered an instantaneous payback period. Uh, we immediately recoup our customer acquisition cost upon acquiring a new customer. And that is a very scalable, scalable model, of course. So as long as we don't see a really large increase in the amount of time that it takes to onboard a client, um, we'll be able to scale it well from a monetary perspective. The difficulty in scaling it is really that it takes a lot of people. Uh, even though it's, it's, uh, it's economically feasible, it still requires you to hire a lot of people, train a lot of people, all that kind of stuff. And that can be challenging. That's, you know, people are one of the most challenging pieces of business. So that'll be something that, that we'll have to really get good at is kind of creating a good system for onboarding and, and optimizing a uh, workforce around onboarding our customers. So
0: can I offer one quick challenge to that or, or maybe a clarifying question, please? So when I, I think of Carta, I think an analyst job is to read a bunch of very cryptic legal documents, purchase agreements, convertible notes, whatever, find the critical seven pieces of information and, and extract those and drop them into basically an online Excel spreadsheet, right? Yeah. That that feels very quickly trainable. I, I feel like I could probably sit down any sort of kind of reasonably smart individual, walk them through the seven different types of documents they could see, what are the key things to look for, and you know, some have some process for them to escalate if they don't feel like they're seeing what they need. What you're doing, though, man, I feel like finance at that level of building a financial forecast is half art, half science. And so like it's almost like that in that, you know, when I think of sitting down with you to build my financial pro forma for a a startup competitors, a a little bit of that is, you know, what I'm getting with you is a little bit of a a high level outsourced CFO for that moment in time. Right. How do you like that to me, particularly across the 19 different business models you might be able to support on this platform? How do you train that? That feels much, much harder from an analyst perspective.
1: Yes, uh, you're a very wise man. Mike, you're, you're you're wise to key in on that, and you're totally right. Like, uh, financial modeling is complicated. It's it's part art, it's part science. Like, it's really a difficult thing to do, and it's one of the reasons why there's such a big opportunity. It's one of the reasons why most most entrepreneurs are really bad at it because uh, it's really technical, it's really hard. And so, uh, I do think you're wise to key in on that. I do think that scaling our analyst team will be more difficult than scaling Carter's analyst team because it's a little less transactional, it's a little bit more. There's a little bit more thought that has to go into constructing a financial model, but um, that's where our product comes in. So our product makes it very, very easy to build financial models at the component level, or we call it at the modular level. So you're not actually having to build everything, any individual formula from scratch. You're essentially taking building blocks, which are known components of a business. So let's say a customer acquisition funnel, like a paid ads funnel or a conferences funnel or an email marketing funnel. These are already packaged up. They're already constructed. They're already calculating you know, values, you as a financial modeler just has to say, how do you acquire customers? You know, Mr. Customer, Mr. Mike. uh, Oh, you acquire through paid ads, email marketing and conferences. Boom, boom, boom. You know, you add those three to the financial model. And then how do you monetize your customers? Oh, you use SaaS and transactional. Well, we're going to choose the SaaS revenue stream and choose the transactional revenue stream. And all the math is actually done for you in the software. Um, You just have to choose the right components. So once, as we kind of scale the product and, and improve the product, Um, I think it'll be actually quite easy for our analysts to build out these financial models. And eventually what we really want to get to is the point where uh, we could offer a self-serve solution. We really like the human onboarding. We think it's strategic. But at the end of the day, if you really just feel confident and wanted to onboard yourself, we envision a TurboTax-like scenario where you're answering a series of onboarding questions and a logic tree. uh, And the model and the platform is actually constructing some of this model for you, presenting it to you, walking you through it. Um, and kind of empowering you to take it from there. So a lot of work to, to still left to be done to get the, to bring that to fruition, but that's the game plan. All
0: right, I, I would be, this occurred to me while you were talking and I would be remiss if I didn't ask it.
1: You're
0: 100% allowed to say no uh, and I'm happy to pay for it. Any chance you'd be willing to do a part two at sometime where you and I uh, use Forecaster to build, like we just record the onboarding session where we build the financial model for uh, startup competitors?
1: I would love to do that, Mike. That would bring me a lot of joy, man. I All right,
0: we're, we're doing that. that I think that. I think that conversation of you and me going back and forth around like, you know, what's this number? Or why this? I, I think there could be a lot of value in that for a first-time founder, just to listen to that whole conversation. Yeah,
1: very cool.
0: All right, we're doing that. I'll follow up and uh, we can schedule time to do that down the road. That that, that would be a, a ton of fun. Steven, what is uh, your favorite piece of swag at
1: Forecaster? Uh, flat bill hat.
0: Really? Nobody said that one before. All right. And is that uh, that just like for you as one of the co-founders? Is that all the employees have access to that? Do you do that for customers? Talk to me about how you think about swag inside the company.
1: Yeah, great question. Um, We want to provide a lot of swag to a lot of people. We haven't really done it yet. Um, So right now we just have some t-shirts and some flat bills and it's really just a founder thing, but we give them to employees as well. We actually think about swag though pretty deeply in the sense that, we actually want to do direct mail. So like we'd like to get into a situation where because we do annual subs, we can afford to do like a $25 or $50 like new customer welcome package. And we'd like to actually send them a direct mailer. We'd actually like to send them like a package with maybe like a coffee mug, a cool coaster, a hat, something like that. Just something to kind of separate ourselves and kind of humanize the relationship just because like SaaS can be so transactional. And I actually think little things like that that don't cost you a ton of money can actually drive a lot of virality and referrals and loyalty. So we think about using swag in that way. And mostly I'm trying to figure out though, like what do people actually want? What's actually useful? Because one of the things, the really annoying things, is like when you receive a bunch of swag and it's just like a kind of a shitty t-shirt or like some stuff that you don't even want to use. And then it's just like, now you have this stuff and you don't want to throw it away, maybe because you're environmentally conscious or whatever, and you got to figure out how to deal with it. So we don't want to create that environment. But uh, otherwise, uh, we'd like to send people a bunch of swag. <laughs> I,
0: I love it. So so two quick thoughts on that. And, and these do tie directly uh, to Fuel Merchandise Group, who's our sponsor. So we've done uh, both. Of, we've done that where in one of our companies where we've had people sign up and, and then we send them, a, you know, direct mail, just kind of welcoming them to kind of you know the product family and and stuff like that. It, it's a you're you're absolutely right. Very much humanizes it, makes it a, a great experience. We drop a handwritten note in there. Yeah. Then the other thing we've used it for is on the business development side, where when you think of a drip campaign of like. Email, then connection requests, like you know, as you're trying to penetrate into a potential new account, which in, in your case could could easily be one of the accelerators, incubators, right? So something who's going to, you know, a relationship that could have, you know, far-reaching implications. We've also found that including swag boxes in that process where, you know, that, you know, it's, it's also a way to introduce them where it's a, it's just like physical thing that's on their desk or, you know, the hat or something like that, where, you know, again, with a handwritten note, they're, they're much more likely to follow up to that LinkedIn request or, or email. We've, we've seen that with some of the campaigns we've run with Fuel as well.
1: Yeah, it's really All interesting. Right. Thanks for that.
0: Yeah. Uh, if you need swag or if you want to run one of those awesome uh, unboxing campaigns, uh, reach out to the folks at Fuel Merchandise Group. You can find them at fuelmerchandise.com. Mention startup competitors, get 10% off your first order.
1: Cool. Yeah, I will. I will take a look at that because that is something that we want to do, especially like uh once we close this round, we're going to get a lot more specific about like how we're driving sales and stuff like that. So I think and we'll have more, more cash to play with. So yeah, fuelmerchandise.com. Okay, cool.
0: <laughs> Perfect. Awesome. Uh, switching gears. Sorry, that was a lot on the product. When you think of competitors in the space of financial modeling, who or what comes to mind? And how do you think about differentiating from that competition?
1: Yeah, that's a great question as well. And as a CEO and as a CEO is fundraising right now, that's a big thing that I'm thinking about is differentiation and what's the competitive landscape. So you know, right now, it's what's considered a blue ocean market in the sense that um, really, no startup competitor, no like online software competitor is really established in the market. Everybody's using spreadsheets. So we have 87 customers. All of them are using spreadsheets before adopting our, our solution. We've done a few hundred uh, customer discovery interviews with our target segment. All of them are using spreadsheets as well. But there is a lot of startup competition. I mean, I think uh, for a lot of people, this is kind of a no-brainer idea. It, it, usually the first question I get is, really, that doesn't exist already? Like, what, what's the deal with that? And so there's a lot of other folks that are going after this idea as well. I've identified really a few dozen companies that are out there. Some of them have uh, kind of fizzled out. Some of them are just not really that credible, I would say, as, like a, as a, like a really big player. But there's about nine companies that I consider solid competition. These are good founders with either uh, founding expertise or, or good chops, at least as far as you can establish You know, from a public LinkedIn profile. Um, they're all more or less at our stage. But it's going to be a dogfight to some extent. And I think it's a big space and there's going to be plenty of winners. And I don't mind throwing out some, some names. Like I think the one that impresses me the most is a company called Mosaic. Uh, Their website is mosaic.tech. They've raised a series a they're from San Diego and the founders have good startup finance expertise, you know, in terms of the marketing collateral and stuff that they use, they seem to be pointed in more or less the right direction. So I think they will be a really good competitor for us. And I actually would love to meet those guys one day. So they're, if they're listening, hit me up. But yeah, it'll, it, it's, it's going to be fun to kind of see how everything goes. And I can't really distinguish a lot of differentiation at this point because most of their products aren't in the market, even mosaics that's in the market. It's gated. I can't see it. And you're not kind of in the internal war room. So it's tough to gauge strategy from publicly available information, products too early to establish differentiation in the market. So it's kind of tough. You know, It's one of those things where for me as a startup founder and a CEO, I concentrate on playing my game. You know, I concentrate on understanding the market landscape, but focusing on us and playing our game. Okay, uh, and I think if we play our game really well, I think we're really well positioned in the market, and I think we've got a good chance to win it. So, um, yeah, that's that's what we're focused on.
0: Such so a, a great layout of the overall landscape that you're you're playing in. T- talk to me a little bit about your process, if any. Uh, and you're allowed to say you don't have one uh, for how you track that. Like, how do you stay on top of? well one maybe how did you you know you're you're a founder you're raising money you're you know you're trying to find the right wedge into the market so you're you're probably constantly doing some research on competitors where are you doing that research how are you keeping track of things do you and the team have a process for kind of how you keep that landscape up to date
1: yeah we do um so you know uh, we're we're kind of spreadsheet nerds i mean that's how we built this business and Uh, So we've got a lot of spreadsheets for for lots of stuff that you know anything other than our yeah right. (laughs) Um, So we do we we keep our uh, competitors in a spreadsheet. We actually have the great fortune of a pitch book subscription, so we know a lot about our competitors that isn't public. Um, And we 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 keep that information close to chest. It's good to know. So, but we don't spend a lot of time on it, Mike. I will tell you, I think it's the thing that I think it's one of those things that entrepreneurs actually over optimize for is kind of understanding competitors and that kind of stuff. It's obviously important to keep a beat on things, but I think in a large sense, really agonizing over competition is a waste of time. I think that uh, you just got to get out there and execute and play your game. And there's not a lot you can do to stop competitors from entering the market. Um, there's no reason to have anxiety about it. You just need to really kind of keep a beat on, hey, who's out there? What are they doing? Check in everyone so often. And so I essentially have like a quarterly process where I've got this spreadsheet. I've got everybody in there with a SWOT analysis and I just check out their website once a quarter. I just kind of poke around their social once a quarter. I just kind of see what are they doing? Anything interesting, anything I want to, uh, to draw inspiration from that kind of thing, and then close that out and get back to business.
0: Solid answer. So you're still super early. So this, this, this is a tough question, but I'd love, love your thoughts on what you think it'll look like. So, you know, everybody at your stage is in the search for product market fit. Do I have it? Do I not have it? In what ways do we need to pivot to get more of it? As you reflect on the success that you've had over the last couple of months and the sales conversations that you're in now, what are some of the things you're looking for when you think about product market fit? Like, How will you know you have it with this product?
1: Yeah, that's a really great question. So there's a few things that come top of mind for us there. So uh, the first thing I'll say is that, you know we have essentially adopted the superhuman process for product market fit. And for anybody who doesn't know that process, uh, just Google search that. But it's a really great process that Raul and, and his team um, have established. And it involves, at a minimum, just kind of sending out a survey to your to your customers that use your product once every few weeks and just asking them, how disappointed would you be if you no longer could use this product? And the quantity or the percentage, rather, of, of customers that say very disappointed can help tell you if you found product market fit. Obviously, you want people to be very disappointed. So that's a process that we run. Um, It's early because we just launched the product in December. So we don't really have a lot of good data on it yet, but that's the process that we're running. Outside of that though, what really tells us if we have product market fit is two things. One's one's squishier, one's more um, quantitative. The squishier thing is just customer love. Like we look for organic customer referrals. We look for organic customer social posts, which we've gotten. We look for like this. Like one time I was onboarding a customer and I literally had a founder tear up um, and start to basically cry because they were so happy and so relieved that they finally had a financial model that they understood. Like that wow, helps me awesome. understand that like I have product market fit and it was just that, yeah, it was wild. It's like I'd never thought that someone would would do that with their financial model, right? But like that's the power of a really good product and, and a really good solution. So we look for the, that kind of organic behavior that's more subjective, that's more anecdotal. And then from a more metric standpoint, we look for a certain level of activity, financial modeling, really should be a monthly function. Uh, Certainly you could use it weekly, you could use it daily, but really you need a monthly cadence with financial modeling. You should on every month be looking at how did I do last month with respect to my income statement or my accounting? What did I say I was going to do in my forecast? And what does that variance tell me about the future and how I should update my model to be more accurate? So we really look for a monthly cadence when it comes to financial modeling. And there's some other metrics that kind of back that up in terms of uh, how many edits were made on a month, or how many investors the product was shared with, but that's more or less you know the the process that we uh, execute to to try to make sure that our product is pointed in the right direction.
0: You said something there at the end that kind of triggered something for me. How much of the use of forecaster once i've got a model set up and 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 running is more on that financial discipline side which uh, which is where I think you opened it. And then as a parting comment, you know, you said shared with investors, how how much of what you're seeing is, is people actually exercising the financial discipline and asking questions of the model versus just keeping things up to date so that their monthly emails, quarterly emails to investors are easier?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And unfortunately, my answer is going to have to say, be I don't know. It's just too early. Like, like when I say we we launched it in December, we literally onboarded our customers like at the very butt end of December, like post Christmas, uh, you know, Uh, blitz to get it done by the end of the year. So like we're two weeks into people using the product in earnest, like people have touched the product before people have used the product really since like September when we released an income statement product, but they haven't actually been able to adopt it as their official system of record, source of truth, official financial model um, until just now. So it's too early to tell, but that's the biggest thing on our minds really from a usage standpoint is figuring that out, like understanding you know who's using it in a fundraising context. Who's using it in an operational context, and what kind of things do we need to do as a company to transfer more people over from that fundraising context, which is essentially our acquisition hook—that's why people buy the product typically—into uh, that operational use case, which is how we get longevity and retention and loyalty and um, and drive value. I mean, that's that's how, that's the value of the financial model is using it operationally, and we we want to provide value as a company, right? That that's. That's why you build a company. So um, yeah, it's something that we're super focused on. But it, it's too early to tell.
0: Good answer. Sorry, I keep forgetting you're only a couple of weeks in. <laughs> <laughs> All right, D- talk to me a little bit about product roadmap. Not not maybe in the in the short term, but but you know, talk to me maybe three years from now. What does Forecaster look like?
1: Our vision for the product is to drive more transparency into the financial health of private companies. So. Everything that we do um, needs to align with that vision. So anything that we build in Forecaster is built with that in mind. Does this drive more transparency into financial health? Uh, Really for all stakeholders. Stakeholders for us are business owners, they're investors, employees as well. So right now, you know, we've got a core financial modeling product. It's a forward-looking three-statement financial modeling product. You know, we want to bolt on a lot of data integrations, which power the financial model with data and make it more smart. And that data allows founders to essentially analyze it and get more transparency and insight into the financial health of their company. Uh, we want to push a lot of fundraising and investor relations feature sets so that the product is very useful for investors to gleam insight from. It makes it easy for a founder to you know, basically achieve a, a quality investor relations process, You know, PDF reports, Excel reports, that kind of stuff. They can pop out and send to investors on a monthly, quarterly basis. And then everything's around financial planning and analysis and financial insight and transparency. So forecast versus actual, unit economics, scenario planning, even anonymous benchmarking. One of the things that we think is really cool is that once we achieve network scale with the company, we can start to benchmark companies against their peers and tell them, you know, in what percentile they are in terms of their churn assumptions, their price assumptions, et cetera. And we can help to essentially shepherd people into to a more valid set of assumptions based on benchmarking them against their peer companies. So that's really a lot of what what we want to do to really supercharge the product, we call it. And um, yeah, that's the vision, more transparency.
0: You said something earlier uh, as well that's now interesting to me. It it just hit me. You said a 50% discount for Techstars companies. Did you go through Techstars?
1: Yes, we did.
0: How was that experience?
1: So I've actually been through Techstars twice uh, with both companies that I've started. So I uh, started a company called Fantasy Hub in 2013. And we were a daily fantasy sports company, so we are like a DraftKings or a FanDuel. And uh, we were actually the first Kentucky company to ever get selected into a Techstars program. So I'm a Louisville, Kentucky native. It's where Forecaster is based as well. And um, yeah, Fantasy Hub kind of broke the seal there for Kentucky. We've now had four companies from Kentucky go through Techstars, the latest of which is also mine, Forecaster. But that's you know really cool. I like Techstars a lot. They taught me a tremendous amount the first time around in Austin, Um, So much so, and I liked it so much so that I really wanted to do it again. It's like, Techstars is super fun. It's just a great group of people. You're surrounded with a great group of mentors. Everybody is just fun and eclectic and smart. And it's it's just a ton of fun. And for this company specifically, it's also an incredibly strategic relationship for us. Techstars births 500 companies a year, and all those companies need financial models. Techstars has baked financial modeling into their core curriculum. So it's a perfect environment for us to get in, add value to Techstars, um, and really participate with a lot of these Techstars programs and acquire a lot of top-tier startups. You know, I mean, Techstars takes less than 1% of the startups that apply. So by definition, um, they're kind of skimming off the top, um, and a lot of those companies can then become our customers, and those customers are influencers. Tech, you know, people look to Techstars companies as as great influencers, and whatever Techstars companies do, a lot of other companies will, will follow suit, and so... That's kind of how we've been able to leverage it. But, you know, Techstars was a great experience for us. We started in January of 2020. We graduated in May. Our managing director, Ryan Cooter, is an incredibly smart and talented and experienced individual, as is the program manager, Kendra Dixon. And we were able to just learn a lot. You know, we got a lot from mentors. We focused on branding. We focused on early product. We focused on customer development. And, yeah, it was just it it was great. And we've been able to work with uh, 15 Techstars programs now as essentially an extension of their, of their staff providing financial modeling workshops and working with the customers or, or the companies in the cohort, excuse me, um, to become customers. A lot of them do. So yeah, that's, that's kind of a little bit about, about that experience. And I'm a, am uh, a big fan of tech stars as, as you can tell.
0: So interestingly enough, if, if there are, cause I think there are other folks listening to this who run other kind of incubator accelerator programs and they wanted to partner with forecaster, is that an option?
1: Absolutely. Yep. That is uh, not only is that an option, that is a huge, huge focus for us. Like strategic networks is a big thing that we're focusing on and we want to get in there and add value. So if you run an incubator, if you run an accelerator, even if you're at a VC, uh, we would love to drive value for the companies that go through your programs. We'd love to offer financial modeling workshops. Um, We do it really well. We've done it a lot. Uh, And we'd love to offer discounted use or discounted prices to our product as well. So. Stephen at forecaster.co is my name.
0: <laughs> <laughs> sell early, sell often. That's right. All right. Uh, and that that's actually probably a good segue. We're getting close to time, and, and I'm already going to definitely have you back for round two. Real quick, so Stephen at forecaster.co uh, website, I'm assuming it's forecaster.co. Spell forecaster, just in case.
1: Yes, good call. Uh, F-O-R-E-C-A-S-T, so forecast, just the way that it's spelled, like a weather forecast. R with just an R at the end of it. Think Flickr, you know, uh, that kind of the misspelling. Uh, Co, CEO, and my name is Stephen with a V. By the way,
0: any place else people should be looking for you, trying to find you? Um, other like social media, anything like that? You want to call out or or no?
1: Yeah, I'd say uh, we're really active on LinkedIn. My co-founder does a lot of video content, which is really helpful, I think, for early stage founders. He talks a lot about. All sorts of startup finance topics, you know, whether or not you should use paid ads, how to manage runway, how to raise capital, that type of stuff. And he posts that all um, both on his personal LinkedIn, Logan Burchett, B-U-R-C-H-E-T-T, as well as our forecasters. I think you can just look at at forecaster or uh, linkedin.com slash forecaster and um, get to our, our LinkedIn page. We do a lot there as well.
0: Perfect. Stephen, thank you so much for taking the time, man.
1: Like, I really appreciate it, man. This is a ton of fun and you do a great job with running these. So I appreciate the opportunity.
0: Startup Competitors provides monthly handcrafted email updates on your top competitors. Keep up to date on new hires,
1: marketing activities, events, awards, new product launches, pricing changes, funding, and a bunch more. Learn more at StartupCompetitors.com.